It's Krista Bontrager, and I'm your tour guide this year as we go through the Bible as part of the Route 66 campaign for Grace Church of Glendora. This is the Points of Interest podcast where we preview this week's reading and get you ready to get into the Word of God. Are you ready? Here we go. Well, it was from Genesis to today. More than four thousand years all the way. Hey everyone, welcome to week 27. This is the first week of the second half of our journey through the Bible. We're halfway done and we're just going to continue to push our way through the Psalms this week. We'll be starting with the Psalm of Moses in Psalm 90 and going through the first half of Psalm 119. In fact, Psalm 119 is so long that they divided it into two weeks. So we'll start it this week and then we'll wrap it up next week. I thought we would start off this week by talking more about some of the interpretive ground rules of interpreting Hebrew poetry. You know, before you play any game, you're sitting around the table as a family, you have to kind of agree on the rules. You have to have some conversation about a shared understanding of, hey, these are the rules that we're all going to play by. And that's true in the Bible as well. There are shared understandings among these authors of how to put together a Hebrew poem. But these things aren't always obvious to us as we're reading in our English translations thousands of years removed from the ancient Hebrew world. So we have to work a little harder at seeing these connections. Now we've already talked about many of these things in previous episodes of the podcast, but I wanted to bring up one aspect of interpretation that we haven't talked about yet, and that is the idea of parallelism. Hebrew poetry is not built around the idea of rhyming sounds. When we think of a poem in our culture, we think of roses are red, violets are blue, I think you're cute, and I love you. Something like that. So there's a, there's a rhyming, rhythmical aspect to it. Well, in Hebrew poetry, the rhyming is not about sounds as much as it is around thoughts. It's thought rhyming, and we call this a parallelism. And Hebrew poetry employs many different kinds of parallelisms. We won't go into all of those, but what it does is it often stitches these, these parallel structures together to form units. Uh, they're kind of like thought units, and again, we have thought rhymes in these thought units. Very basic example. One of the Psalms you're going to be looking at this week is Psalm 104. One of the most common types of parallelisms in Hebrew poetry is called the synonymous parallelism. And this is where the second line restates the first. So the passage should, should be interpreted as an entire unit, not separate thoughts. So for example, in Psalm 104, verse 7, But at your rebuke, the waters fled, at the sound of your thunder, they took flight. 
This is a very straightforward synonymous parallelism. The first line, but at your rebuke the waters fled, is repeated in the second line. At the sound of your thunder, they took flight. So here we can see that the second line basically is a restatement of the first. So we should take them together as a unit. We don't want to think that the second line is adding new information. Rather, they're just simply restating or retelling the same thing with, in two different ways. Let's look at another example in Psalm 104. Verse 29. When you hide your face, they are terrified. And it's talking about the animals. When you take away their breath... They die and return to dust. So the parallel structure here is that when you hide your face, they are terrified. And then it parallels with when you take away their breath, they die and return to dust. So these are the two parallel structures. Again, they are retelling or restating the same events, just with slightly different words. They're rhyming their thoughts. Another type of parallelism is called a synthetic parallelism. Let's look at Psalm 104, verse 5. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. Now, in a synthetic parallelism, we look for the elements of the poetic line to build on top of one another. And here, the second line expands what the first is saying. So when it says he set the earth on its foundations, it can never be moved, the phrase, it can never be moved, is an expansion of what he said in the first line, that he set the earth on its foundations. These are just a couple of examples of how he, ancient Hebrew poetry works. Now we have to remember that the verse numbers were made up during the medieval period. They're more like a, a version of a GPS. They help us zoom in on a very specific point in the Bible that gives us a quick reference. But in the original, those verse numbers wouldn't have been there. So we don't want to think that the sections are always denoted by those verse numbers. The verse numbers are not inspired. They are man-made. So as you're reading through the Hebrew poems, you might want to begin to look for these parallels and just notice, is this a synonymous parallelism or is this a synthetic parallelism? Sometimes you might come across an antithetical parallelism where the elements of the poetic line are actually opposite to one another, where they seem to be saying contradictory things. Again, there's many different kinds. We won't go over all of those, but it just gives you a little peek underneath the hood as to what's going on, the shared rules of interpretation that these ancient authors had. I just want to take a few moments to highlight a couple of the Psalms that you'll be reading this week. The first one we're going to talk about is Psalm 90, and this is the only psalm in the book of Psalms that's by Moses. Now, we do have the Song of Moses back in Deuteronomy 32, but Moses must have been also a poet. In addition to being an awesome leader of God's people and a theologian, he was also a man who could write very profound theological poetry. Let's just try to break it down a little bit and try to appreciate how Moses has put this together. Now, once again, we're looking for bookends, and that's such a common feature of Hebrew poetry. And in this case, the outline of Psalm 90 is this, that verses 1 and 2 kind of form the introduction, and then the other end of the bookend is verses 11 and 12. 
And then verses 3 to 10 is kind of the filling in the middle of these these two pieces. And it's an interesting theme that Moses develops here. It's really a picture of what the world is like for unbelievers. And his descriptions are just so interesting because he sets the context in verses 1 and 2 of God as creator and eternal. And so God is way up here. And then he turns in verse three to a description of humanity and that they will return to dust. In fact, they're so different from God. In fact, God is so much more powerful than than humanity. You know, God just kind of sweeps them away. They're like new grass in the morning. It's there, it springs up, and then it's dry and it's withered. The fate of humanity apart from God is a bleak picture indeed. And then he wraps it up in verses 11 and 12 in talking about the wrath of God against these people. And then in verses 13 to 17, he turns it again and he has this prayer for God's compassion have compassion on your servants. So now we're switching the focus to be what is God's relationship with his covenant people. God's covenant people see God in a very different way and he sees them in a very different way. The Lord's favor rests on them and their work is established. Now notice kind of the symmetry here between the unbeliever and the believer and the unbeliever the unbeliever is like the morning grass he it springs up it's new and then by evening it's dry and withered but in verse 14 for God's covenant people Moses says satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad for all of our days so there's this contrast of in the morning the unbeliever is like new grass it's going to be gone by evening but for the believer the morning is a time of rejoicing in God's love and to be glad for another day that God has given us we see another contrast in verse 10 Moses says you know our days are short it's a our days are a time of trouble and the years quickly fly by but for the believer he says make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us for as many years as we have seen trouble your deeds have been shown to your servants and your splendor to their children so it's like yeah okay even though we may live in afflicted state for the believer we still see the deeds of God coming forth and and being displayed for for his people and finally you know the unbeliever only has the wrath of God to look forward to in verse 11 but in verse 17 he says may the favor of the Lord rest upon us as God's covenant people so it's just an interesting contrast that Moses is setting up here between those who are part from God's covenant and those who are in God's covenant people I thought it would be fun this week to talk about Psalms 103 and 104. They're positioned right next to each other 
in the book of Psalms. Psalm 103 states specifically that it was a Psalm of David. Most scholars think that Psalm 103 and Psalm 104 go together. And so Psalm 104 is probably a Psalm of David as well. Psalm 103 and Psalm 104 both share some common literary features. And this is why so many scholars think that they actually go together. They both start off in verse 1, Praise the Lord, O my soul. And then in Psalm 103, it says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Psalm 104 starts off with, Praise the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, you are very great, you are clothed with splendor and majesty. Both Psalm 103 and Psalm 104 both end with the same refrain, Praise the Lord, O my soul. These kind of bookends around Psalm 103 and Psalm 104 is part of the reason that so many scholars think that these two songs are connected. Psalm 103 is a psalm that focuses on God's redeeming grace to sinful humanity. Verses 8 to 12 say, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. As far high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. What a powerful picture of God's redemption of his people. The picture here is that of a redeemer king. But then when we move to Psalm 104, the picture that we have is of a creator king. The focus moves from redemption to creation. In fact, many scholars have noted that Psalm 104 appears to be a poetic meditation on Genesis chapter 1 and the creation events of each days of creation. What's interesting here is that these dual themes of creation and redemption that are highlighted in Psalm 103 and Psalm 104 are really integrated throughout the Psalms, especially in the sections that we will be reading this week. God wants his people to shout their praise to him for his work in salvation, the theme of Psalm 103, and in creation. We are invited to, to see and, and to look at the world and his handiwork, to learn of his greatness by observing all of the intricate detail of his creation. That's really what Psalm 104 is about. God is powerful enough to both shake the mountains in Psalm 104 and secure our salvation in Psalm 103. So you want to look for those common themes of salvation and creation throughout the, the section of Psalms we're going to be reading this week. But I think that Psalm 103 and Psalm 104 offers a nice extreme close-up of these two themes and how they fit together biblically. Well, I hope that gives you just a little more of a taste of how these Psalms are put together. It's such an elegant and beautiful piece of art that we're going through right now. And I hope that you can take some time to pull off to the side of the road and really meditate on some of these Psalms as you're going through them. And whatever you're going through in your own life, you can find comfort in the Psalms, whether that's 
extolling who God is and and seeing what the world that he has made around you and then understanding that he has secured your redemption or that he's there with you in the midst of whatever hard times that you're going through, that he can bring that to a purposeful and meaningful outcome as you submit to him and his will. The Psalms are just so rich. There's so much there for each one of us. I know you're being blessed. I know I'm being blessed as we're going through them. And we'll continue this adventure next week as we wrap up the Psalms. We'll be starting in the Proverbs, another wonderful book. We'll have some things to talk about next week. We want to get square on how we interpret the Proverbs in a proper way and understanding them again in their ancient context. But so much good wisdom here as we're making our way through the wisdom literature. And I'll look forward to seeing you then. Goodbye for now. God bless. Go to Galilee, Shechem, Colosseum, and Jerusalem City is not a pretty Trip.